Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Artsy Engineering Radio. I'm John. I'm hosting today's episode. I'm an engineer here at Artsy on the Grow team, and I've got with me Laura and Chris. Laura, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Laura. I'm an engineer on the uh, purchase team, and I've been at Artsy for just a couple months now. Yeah, and how about you, Chris? I'm an engineer also on the Grow team. I've been at Artsy almost five years. Yeah, me too. Cool. So we decided to talk today about a topic called refactoring. It's a big topic. There are lots of little idiosyncrasies to it. But I thought we would just like start off by maybe just talking about like what it means when we say that word. I know I first kind of bumped into this idea when I was learning what TDD was because I would hear that thing of like red green refactor and I didn't quite know what that meant. So in that context, Often what you hear people talk about is like, first you write a red test, meaning it's failing. Then you make it go green, meaning the test is passing. And then you can like pause and look at the code you've written and decide if you like its structure, if you want to change it in some way. And then you have these tests at your back to kind of help you decide if the changes you made, like still make it work the way it's supposed to. So that's like, I think maybe a good way to, to start into this topic. Does that, does that definition sound about right to y'all? Do you have any other thoughts? I think that sounds about right. I uh, ran into it actually in the same context, you know, taking a TDD workshop. And yeah, just since then, I've kind of felt like testing was so integral to the process of refactoring. That just kind of goes without saying. So, yeah. There is like this relationship between the tests and the refactor. For for me, I've done a lot of work at RT refactoring areas of the code base that didn't necessarily have a lot of tests. And so um, I guess my take on on refactoring is oftentimes finding a way of establishing a pipeline that will allow the old program to continue working and then to migrate things feature by feature over to the new pipeline seamlessly. And and oftentimes that is testless, at least initially, and it's a little bit more uh, YOLO. I thought of another way to talk about refactoring, which is a Kent Beck. I'm going to name drop two people, Kent Beck and Martin Fowler in this conversation, because I just think they're important. They've said some smart things. Beck said this thing, for each desired change, make the change easy. Warning, this may be hard. Then make the easy change. And so I think this is another way to think about it. Of like When I'm in that TDD cycle of like writing a red test, writing and making it go green, and then having that pause for refactoring, that's fine. But more often my work is changing existing code. And so in that case, what I'm thinking about is like, I'm reading this code and I'm trying to understand how it behaves. I'm trying to figure out how I can alter the behavior to accomplish this new thing. And so refactoring is a tool in my toolbox to get to a point where the code is easy to change. So I wanted to to throw that out there, see if that resonates with y'all at all. And also just mention then Fowler, Martin Fowler wrote a book called Refactoring. In fact, he has refactoring.com. I just learned that <laughs> uh, prepping for this <laughs> for this call. And, and that is an easy way to find his book on this topic. And then he has this thing, he has like a, like a catalog of the names of the refactors. He's actually like tried to put names to some of these techniques we do. So those are interesting things to check out too, if this topic is new to you. Okay, I talked a lot. What about an example to maybe help further illustrate? I went to his catalog and I found one called extract variable. I think this is one we maybe even do when we're just learning to program, kind of comes natural. You hit some code, it's pretty complicated and you wanna extract a local variable out of some part of it to put some English language words around it. So I'm gonna attempt to describe what this could look like in like a ordering situation. So 
assume you have like a function to compute an order total and maybe that starts life as like quantity times price and so you just do like return quantity times price and then it may grow to include shipping or maybe volume discounts and as you stack these behaviors on it's possible that it will just get added on to this formula so to speak and so refactoring would mean going into that function and then pulling out pieces of that formula and like naming them. So in the refactoring catalog that followers got for extract variable, he's like, let's extract one for base price. Let's extract one for the quantity discount for shipping. And so those intermediate variables contain the logic of what it means to compute those things. And then the last line of the function is like base price minus quantity discount plus shipping. So this is the process of refactoring. We're like, if I want to make a change to this formula, I might start by extracting these locals so that I get like some some place to stand on to kind of get myself going. And then hopefully future changes are now easier to make. So, so kind of like making it a little bit more human readable in the process of kind of refactoring. So you're kind of turning something that was just a bundle of logic into like a, a narrative that you can then look at and scan and kind of get a picture about. Yeah, because I mean, the computer doesn't care, right? Like both of those things probably computed the right you know, that the, the same value at the end of the day, but one is easier for a human to maintain. Totally. Yeah. I've noticed this a lot in your code, particularly in tests. It's like you often don't really see one going into like a test structure and refactoring that, but I, I definitely have noticed you do that, John. And that kind of has the added benefit of allowing us to write easier tests later on. So it's like make the hard part easy and it encourages uh, additional test coverage too. But, but yeah, I've, I've noticed that um, a lot of the tests that you've kind of created or kind of updated have always been a little bit more human readable. And that just kind of makes it feel a little bit less technical and also easier for like, you know, more lower level or beginner engineers to kind of make changes. Totally. Okay. So um, we've, we've got some um, groundwork here. I got a bunch of questions I'm going to fire off. Laura, what kinds of changes do you consider to be refactoring and what sometimes gets called refactoring that you think isn't go for it i don't know i mean i really think that any any change that you make in a code base could be considered a refactoring refactoring means to me yeah just making changes in a code base that bring it up to date with itself almost you know mm. because i think that a lot of times we start building something and it's small and it's modular and it makes sense at the time and then the more we start to build it out, the more convoluted it gets because we're trying to shoehorn different functionality into something that maybe doesn't necessarily fit there, but we could make it work because that's the fastest route to completion. And so therefore we just stick it there and, oh, well, the next person who comes along will see how this should have been done and maybe patch that up a little bit. And then that, that person never comes along and this thing just gets gargantuan and you know, it's, it's spaghetti code at that point. So I love um, this idea, sorry, Laura, I was just going to say, I love this idea of making the code like rhyme with itself or like be, be more itself. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's basically just then, then finding all of those pieces that you, that were supposed to have been built individually or in a more modular way that were, sh that, you know, that shoehorning process kind of happened and, and, and pulling them apart. And, and I think also during that process, sometimes like you were saying, Chris, some of these things just aren't tested, you know, they were just put in there because that, you know, it needed to get done. And then you're pulling these things out, you're making them more modular and at the same time, making them more testable so that you can, in fact, you know, not only do that refactoring to make the code cleaner, but then also to allow for the testing that should have been there to begin with. That's cool. Yeah, I'm 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 struggling to think of something that's like 
doesn't it like isn't refactoring i guess it would be like maybe we can think about it of like structural versus behavioral so if a change is simply structural that's a refactor if it changes the behavior then maybe it's outside of the realm of refactoring does that land that does make sense yeah i guess that do, that would take it outside the the confines of just a refactoring and then starting to build in yeah just new functionality or or creating a new feature at that point it wouldn't be just changing the existing cool Chris, when do you think about refactoring? Are you always thinking about refactoring like me? <laughs> well, I, I tend to think about refactoring after a piece of code has been touched by like X number of developers. It's generally gets to a place where there's just like a lot of different idioms that have been kind of packed into a, a chunk of code and a lot of different ways in which like the logic has been expressed. And oftentimes what happens at that point is that the, the message is lost. And once the feature is in place and once everything is working and ideally covered with tests, a lot about, a lot about the refactoring process is just kind of, again, making it more readable. And by going through it and kind of cleaning it up and just refactoring it so that there's a single voice versus like 10 different voices can often do a lot for extending the lifetime of that particular piece of code. Yeah, a good example, I think, is uh, we recently rebuilt the artist app in Force. And that was kind of a combination of, of a pure refactor, but also kind of a new feature in the sense that we're setting it up for new features for the future very, very easily. But it was basically a one-to-one -one port of the old to the new, just in a consistent narrative voice. And, and what that did was um, allowed us to kind of like factor out a lot of the sort of indecision and kind of like question marks that we had put in place when we first wrote the artist app in our new framework and because all the patterns had then settled. And so it was easy to then go and then make the code base more like itself, like, yeah, in a very like Zen kind of way. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if you uh, are paying it, like, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer this question myself, but like, do you make it work, then make it better? And make it fast or like like what's the order of operations i think for myself i probably tend to like refactor first and then make the change i don't know i'm curious y'all have kind of figured out how you work on this one that that is very much how i do it i i refactor first and then make everything kind of work and make it fast and like do what needs to be done and it usually comes from a, a sort of like ideal representation of the code like I'll look at the code and understand it well enough to where I know how all the pieces work. And then I'll just literally start writing exactly what I want, you know, right there. And it doesn't even necessarily have to even work. It just looks exactly how I'd like it to look and function or whatever. And then I'll run it and it, nothing will be broken. And then I'll find ways of, of wiring things up so then it will start working and it will slowly kind of come to life. When there's test coverage there, it makes it much, much less scary. But when there's not test coverage, it's almost like you're kind of like painting or something. It's like you're, you're creating this new creation and, you know, you're filling in the details and it can be kind of fun while being simultaneously like a little bit dangerous. But yeah, it's like start from the ideal ideal and then move backwards towards, you know, something that actually Right, the code works. you wish you had. Yeah. So danger. I think one of the risks of refactoring and maybe one of the things that we have to like be disciplined about when, when we hit this topic is like how much time we spend, how 
tight our scope is. So Laura, like how do people, or how have you seen yourself get into a refactoring and maybe like find a middle ground or like avoid getting too deep into the refactor is kind of what I'm trying to hit on. I think that for me, I, I just kind of have to time box things, you know, like sometimes I'll, I'll start a small refactor just to get myself familiar with the, uh, the code I'm working in. Like you guys were just talking about, you know, you kind of starting on a task and you just, uh, you're not in a familiar area of the code base and just do some small things to clean things up a little bit. And that can help understanding what the actual behavior is and, and how it's organized and, and whatnot. But yeah, sometimes you think that a change is going to be small and simple and that it would really clean things up a little bit. And then you start to see how this small change that you've made kind of starts to spiral out into other areas of the code base and make unintended changes because you didn't see how certain things were connected to one another. I think when you start to see that spiraling process, or at least when I do, and it's not a deliberate, like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do a complete overhaul of this system. Yeah. Then you, I, I tend to just put a time box on it. And if it's going to take me, you know, if it's going to, if it's going to double the the effort for my task, then yeah, definitely. I'm going to just go ahead and roll it back. Or, I mean, you know, depending on how and how large the task is, if it's even going to, you know, increase it by half, sometimes I'll roll it back. Uh, you just, I mean, you really just have to use your best judgment and think about how constrained by time your your team and this feature might be and just use your best judgment on it. Yeah, I have, I have kind of um, a process where I give myself three chances and and I usually will start like, you know, refactor, I'll name a branch like refactor one. And I usually go to refactor three. And oftentimes refactor one might feel like it's kind of spiraling out of control and you just feel like completely lost and you're like, oh no, this is actually, I didn't unintended consequences and so on. And so then I'll just pause and I'll stop and I'll open up a new branch from the previous master or whatever you're forking from and I'll try again. And oftentimes by try two and just kind of starting fresh and not trying to force something through, I'll find a way in that will really be simpler. It will make more sense. And then oftentimes that doesn't work. And just to be sure, I'll then open up a try three. And if by try three, things are, are not like gelling, then I'll, I'll kind of back out. And at that point in time, it's, you know, usually time for like a tech plan or something like that. Like some, some kind of written document aside from going in there and refactoring to kind of make sure that you know all the, all the details involved with the task. But, but yeah, very often I just throw out work. <laughs> Yeah, this is totally landing for me. <laughs> when you use that system, is that is that you going into this branch or going into this pro- project knowing that it's just a refactor or is that for actually, you know, building out features or just as sort of a side as an aside to some other work that you might be working on? It's it's usually known as a as a refactor. It's kind of when I start to employ that system, it's kind of I kind of know that that, that it could go off the rails or whatever. And so it's always like, you know, bring out this tool when necessary. And that's like the tool for refactoring. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I find myself checking out branches and abandoning them all the time. And like, I think of it as like spiking. Like I'm, I'm trying to kind of convince myself of the value of this thing, figure out where the seams are, where the, like what the actual scope is. And so, so that I'm in a position to ultimately usually spend like 10 commits refactoring the thing. And then like this final commit is the actual behavior change that the, maybe the JIRA ticket calls for or whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you do that too, Chris. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, it's, 
I, I always try to encourage people when they want to kind of like dive into refactoring tasks to not be afraid to, to back up, you know, because like refactoring in the large code base is very much like walking through a maze, you know, and like sometimes you need to reverse course, but then you'll find the path that takes you to the center. Like, and you just can't see that if you just keep pushing forward, you know? And so that's kind of, you know, the beauty of Git is that you can just like spin up branches and abandon them, you know, but it, but it's more of, yeah, you have to, you know, know that that's possible that's amazing you're like a refactoring zen master <laughs> yeah, look at john <laughs> i mean yeah so so there are some tools like, like like there are some things that we have in our ecosystem that help refactoring i'm thinking about like you know like in a nice ide setting you're gonna have like maybe the ability to find all instances of a, of a variable or something and like rename them and like it's like it's a couple of mouse clicks in, in your IDE. Maybe you have like a find and replace command that you like to run. So I'm, I'm curious if like there are tools that y'all have found like helpful or even just like technologies like TypeScript. Yeah, any thoughts there? I was definitely expounding on the virtues of TypeScript the last time that Steve and I talked about this. But some, so many of the tools that I didn't mention are the things that I find so fundamental to writing code that I almost don't even think to mention them. Like... It means testing and yeah, like the functions of an IDE and, you know, having, having good IntelliSense and having a project set up to allow those features to work at their, their, you know, their best capacity. Like as a professional developer, sometimes you get spoiled with stuff like that and you don't even realize how much the technology helps you. But yeah, I mean, shout out to VS Code. And I know that a bunch of people at Artsy use Vim and things like, I'm sure that it's got its own tools. Yeah. There's... The technology is is so, so helpful. Yeah, definitely developer experience matters. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, you'll go into a new code base or a new team or something, and you'll realize that the project environment in which people are working is just in shambles. You know, it's slow, like there isn't like a consistent settings file or whatever. And a lot of people are kind of shy when it comes to touching tooling or whatever. And they're just not aware that some little up you know, updates to their developer setup will really increase the experience and then help increase momentum and build confidence for, for things like refactoring. And so I, yeah, it's, it's cool at Artsy that uh, we do have a lot of tooling practices in place that kind of allow for that kind of thing, but it's not a given <laughs> ever. And they're not, and they're not, they're, they're not always perfect, right? Like these are um, sometimes best tries at some of these refactors. Uh, I know, like in the Xcode landscape, there's a bunch of refactoring tools there, and sometimes they work, sometimes they're not perfect. And like there's like a, there's, there's like a manual step of like reviewing the diff and seeing what what worked and what didn't. I have a refactoring story I want to share. We have a system called Gravity, and it used a gem called Pathy to do some test assertions. And so what I found was that this was a like 10 plus year old gem unmaintained and was locking us to a certain version of another dependency. So it was sort of like, I can't, I can't move forward until I get rid of this thing. And so I wrote a Ruby script to find the locations where it was being used and then use regex to rewrite it into something else. So it was like, write a script with a test for that script and then keep copying and pasting in instances of this call site that I wanted to update and then just keep tinkering with it until it would like write the refactored, I guess, code back to that file. And it, like totally worked. It was awesome. 
That is that that is actually really cool. And I was going to say that one of the things I think that got me to be a lot more brave and a lot more adventurous as a developer was was you know coming from like at my first job we had like just wonderful code set up the 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 project I was working in had almost no tech debt and coming home and trying to work on personal projects and realizing how much setup there was and Mm. and how much stuff was going on behind the scenes to make that developer experience at work so wonderful. So then all of a sudden I was like, okay, well now I have to figure out how all this stuff works. So when I want to do a project at home, I can, I can have this amazing experience. And then all of a sudden I'm diving into Webpack and and Babel and Prettier and all of these configuration files and test setups and Jest and testing library and man, that is a rabbit hole, but it is fun. It is fun and it's frustrating and it's, it has, yeah, it's really, I feel like it's made me a better developer as a whole to kind of understand how that ecosystem is put together. So yeah, I mean, definitely highly recommend that. And yeah, it's just another way in which discovering what that tooling is and, and how it's so helpful to you, it can be just a motivating factor to learn new things. There's a lot of automated refactoring tools in like the JavaScript ecosystem that I know we've taken advantage of at Artsy, like different code mods. There's like JS Code Shift. And for a while there, when we were doing some pretty big refactors with metaphysics, we created a, a repository in our Artsy repo called Code Mods. And it was mm. just a place in which we could store all the code mods that we've used to kind of apply to our code bases so that other people could look and have references. And so I encourage folks to kind of check that out. One thing that jumps out, which was part of a, a larger refactor that needed to be done is on our GraphQL layer called Metaphysics, we started using GraphQL right when it came out in 2015. There weren't a lot of patterns in place at that time. And so we had to kind of design a lot of our own implementations for things. And and basically it was just a, a V1 version of our schema. And as GraphQL matured and, and stuff kind of solidified in terms of patterns and whatnot, we realized that it would be great if we could find a way of modernizing our schema, which also meant pulling our code base off of a number of forks of libraries and so on. And so while we were going through and kind of getting everything off of forks and making it uh, like very vanilla, we realized that we could update our schema to be uh, where all fields on our GraphQL that we use in our client code are all camel case instead of snake case. And it seems like a very aesthetic sort of change, you know, and some people were like, I don't know about that, you know, but thankfully there was code mods. And so we were able to write a series of code mods that would go through. And at any time we accessed, you know, a field variable that was snake case and that we were sure that it was part of our GraphQL schema, it would then rewrite it to camel case. And we would do these things in batches. And suddenly you have not only metaphysics kind of like much more user-friendly and developer-friendly and consistent with the JS ecosystem as a whole, but all of our client code bases too. And we could apply the same code mod across the board. So yeah, it was kind of a, an interesting thing. And you know, if, if something wasn't right, then the code mod would throw an error exactly where we needed to um, look. And yeah. And, so if manual intervention was needed, you knew right where to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we followed kind of a very similar refactor step when we were migrating to uh, strict type checking with TypeScript, you know, and this gets us to, you know, like we want our code bases to, to be very type friendly um, so that we may refactor. And so one of our steps was we needed to make it strict. And so 
in the same sort of sense, we would we wrote a code mod that went through, and anytime there was an error after turning on strict type checking, it would insert a TypeScript comment that would allow us to go back there and and manually change it where need be. And so it was like lots of little incremental things to get the code base to be more friendly for future refactoring. I'm I'm just thinking about this the the struggle of dealing with metaphysics and some refactoring there. We currently use a technology called schema stitching, which allows us to kind of take all of our different microservices, which have their own GraphQL implementations, and then stitch them into a unified schema in our main GraphQL hub that clients then consume. When we first implemented stitching, it was very, very new. It was had it didn't even really exist yet. And so uh, fewer developers working at Artsy were working with other developers on the Apollo team trying to get this idea over the line. And so we got schema stitching in. It works great for our use cases, but it's now four or five versions, major versions behind. And so the the idea was, okay, I'm going to refactor metaphysics to to support the latest version of schema stitching. That refactor process has has been somewhat fraught because a lot of the times when you want to refactor, it's like it's like you really do need to understand how all the technology operates. And how do you refactor if a lot of the developers who were originally responsible for the implementation are now gone? And so what kind of in line with like the, you know, you're given three chances, step back if you don't succeed on the third chance and write a tech plan. That's kind of where I'm at. But I had pushed ahead on that third chance so far with so many late nights just because of like dogged persistence that I ended up burnt out. <laughs> so yeah. it's like re- refactoring. It's like you can get in too deep and you, it's totally really good can. to know when, when you're at that point and to be able to pull back. And yeah, so it's, you know, I'm going to reset my chances in a little bit after I do some like light feature work, but <laughs> sometimes what I like is to take a break and like ship some easy things, like do some tasks yeah. that are more like self-contained. And then, yeah, it's like, I'm like rebuilding my, I'm like refilling my, my battery for some hard work like that. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A couple of easy wins will just totally make you feel different about your day and your job and all of that. <laughs> right. Right. Like you really do need engineering successes. Like, <laughs> Okay, great. Well, thank you both for speaking with me about refactoring. It's definitely something that's like near and dear to my heart. So it was it was fun to talk this through. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. That's it for this episode of Arts Engineering Radio. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Artsy Open Source. Keep up with our blog at artsy.github.io. This episode was produced by Asia Simpson. And thank you, Eve Essex, for our theme music. You can find her on all major streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Artsy Engineering Radio.